0: And uh, we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And while they're making their way to Junior Church, I I just want to say thank you for your prayers this week. The the surgery went well and um, pretty well pain-free except for where the incisions are and walking normal again. Uh, It's it's been great. (laughs) Uh, The the, the only, only problem that I have with it, I asked the doctor should I preach this morning or not and he said oh you'll probably limp a little bit but they're not going to (laughs) mind and and so I took his advice and I'm preaching this morning but as I was teaching Sunday school I realized I still got a lot of that medicine in my system and my brain's just a little bit fuzzy (laughs) but we'll we'll get through it Ephesians chapter 5 beginning with verse 15 and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Back in the summer of 1968, I was preparing to go to the mission field. I was raising my support, and part of the process was you had to attend what they called at that time missionary boot camp. Uh, they, they've got a fancier name for it now, but uh, they, they just went by boot camp back, back then. You, you spent three months out in an Indian village under the guidance of the local missionaries learning how to, to live out in, in a village and, and the culture and so forth. There were three couples and uh, three single fellows that, that went through the program together. Uh, and we were living together in what was also the, the chapel for the area, I have some thank you. And uh, it, rather interesting experience. You had the chapel, that was our kitchen area as well. Uh, all three of us had to learn how to cook you, you don't want to learn how to cook on a wood stove, but, but that, that's what we had. So that, that's, And none of us were very adept at it. But uh, as time went on, one of the things that one of the guys said, you know, it would be great if we got together with the kids and just had a game night once a week. And so Friday night was designated game night, and it was still before the snow came, so we were pr- playing outdoor games and one of the somebody came up with a bright idea one night. Let's play kick the can. I don't know if you've played kick the can or not, but uh, you have a can there. And somebody's it. They're protecting the can, and they have to tag everybody, and they become their prisoners. And when they have caught everybody, then the game changes, and somebody else is it. And uh, the, the the evening wore on, and it was about nine o'clock at night. It was getting dark, or it was dark by by that time, and uh, I. I crawled up up a hill. There was a hill that came up and then the, there was a, a flat area where the missionary house was and, and uh, the, the can was located out there. And it was dark enough and I was dressed in black so I, I knew that there was no shrubbery or anything on the hillside but I knew I wasn't going to get caught. And I, I crawled up to where I could just barely look over the crest of the hill. And, and I stayed there, laid there watching the guy that was it. And as soon as he got far enough away from that can, I was going to run in, kick the can, and set all the prisoners free. I'm gonna be the hero in in this deal. And and so I, I, I watch and slowly he makes his way farther and farther away till he reached that critical point where he was farther from the can than I was. And I jumped up and I made a beeline just as fast and hard as I could run to kick that can. I got about six steps and something hit me across the nose. And my feet went straight out in front of me and I landed kerthump on, on my back. And uh, they thought at the time that I might have a concussion so they had me stay awake for an hour or so. The only problem with it, if I had a concussion, it was four hours into the nearest hospital over a rough gravel road and nobody wanted to go at that hour of the night to, to Williams Lake. So um, finally it was decided that I, did, I was okay. and I, I went home to go to bed. Well, I probably had a slight concussion because I got up the next morning. And we're living without running water, without electricity, and so forth. And, and so you have that little path out back and, and to answer the call of nature. And, and I still remember st- getting up and walking out the door. And there were three steps to get down to the ground. And I stood there for the longest time trying to figure out how do you walk down steps? I couldn't remember. Uh, Coming back in, I looked at those steps again. How do you walk up steps? So uh, it was probably a little more serious than I thought. About that time, I was looking for somebody to blame it on. I thought, well, it's got to be the fault of the guy that suggested the game. (laughs) Who who in their right mind is going to suggest going out there in the dark and running around like that? And, And then I thought, no, it's probably... The telephone company, they had put the power poles in, and I had come right between the power pole and a tree. The only problem was there was a guide wire, and that's what caught me across the nose. Now, I don't know why. I, I look around, and I see Vista poles and so forth, and they have those guide wires on them. You, you you would think they'd be smart enough to be able to put the poles in the ground and, and not have to put guide wires on them. So it, it had to be their fault. But you know what? Uh, The longer I thought about it, the more I realized the problem was I had not walked, as this passage says, circumspectly. I had not walked wisely in that case. I was so focused on kicking the can that I didn't realize what was around between myself and and the the can there. The word circumspectly from the King James Version here, uh, mine puts it... uh, Don't walk as unwise men, but as wise. Uh, The King James puts it, walk circumspectly, is an interesting word. It it literally means to walk looking around, to be aware of what's going on around you. Now, I enjoy getting out, hiking in the woods. I'm a little frustrated with my doctor because he said, no huckleberry picking this year. Can't go up in the mountains. Uh, He he doesn't understand huckleberry picking, but... uh, when I'm out there, I like to look around. I, I like to know what's out there. What, uh, uh, I even like to look behind me to, to, in case I have to go back the same way. I don't like to go back the same way, but if if you have to, you've you, you got to know uh, the, the the path and so, so forth there. That's the idea that he has with that word circumspectly. It talks of walking with precision, of accuracy, of, of proper behavior in our lives. Now, I'm... I didn't walk circumspectly that day, and I I realize I'm not the only one that that falls into that trap. How many times have you gone into the parking lot in in the mall or so forth, gotten out of your car, walked into the mall, finished your shopping, and came out, where did I park my car? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, You you weren't, uh, what you should have done is look around when you got out of the car, see where you were in perspective with the building and, and then you would know you could come right back to the car. You weren't walking circumspectly in, in that particular time. The opposite of walking circumspectly is to drift along aimlessly w- without any clear thought of what we are doing there. So he encourages us to walk circumspectly, to walk wisely. Now, how do we do that? Well, there's three commands that come out of here. The first one is make the most of your time. Now, I realize Again, going back to the King James version, it says "redeeming the time." Uh, I have a little bit of a struggle with that concept because when we think of redeeming something, we think uh, usually think of buying it back. You know, you take something and you're, you're short of cash, and you take something to the pawn shop, and and they give you a certain amount of cash for it. You have the right for a certain period of time to go and redeem it. You you can buy it back. You you pay back what you borrowed, and and interest and in it and it becomes yours again. Uh, same thing happens a lot of times when somebody loses a house for bankruptcy. They're, they're usually given by the court a period of time in which they can redeem that property. They can buy it back. Now, the, the problem with that is we can't turn the clock back. We can't ba- buy back time in that sense. Uh, we, we, we attempt to do it with daylight savings time, but I'm not sure that that really accomplishes anything that doesn't save any time, and, and we don't get any extra time. But uh, this word can also be translated, instead of buy back, it can also be translated to buy up. And that's with that comes the idea, we make the most of our opportunities, That the opportunities that God presents to us. It's the same idea that the Marines have. I don't know if they still have that slogan or not. But uh, And my wife quoted the slogan for me and said, you got to do it. Right, if you're going to quote it there, uh, uh, I'm going to give you the English version of it. (laughs) It's seize the day. Uh, uh, Seize that, that opportunity that God gives you today. The word opportunity is a sailing term, incidentally. It literally means to the port. And the idea behind that word is that the sailors would use the wind they would use the tide, they would use the, the oars, they, they would use whatever resources they had so that they could arrive safely to their destination, to the, the port that they were headed toward there. And I think it's important for us to remember that our port, our destination is heaven. Uh, as we sing in that song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. We're headed for glory and uh, that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And then all of these things, he said, then you can enjoy all of the things of, of, of this life, but we are to live. We are to take the opportunities that God gives to us and use them in such a way that if we were to cross that finish line today, we would hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We, we would enter into the joy that, that he has for us there. The days, he said, are evil. Uh, We see that all around us today, but that doesn't excuse us from living carelessly. We are to live in such a way, we are to use our time, our talents, our opportunities, our gifts to reveal the character of Christ to our generation, to our society. That is what is involved in making the most of our time there in, in verse 16. The second command he gives to us is that we are to understand God's will, verse seventeen. Uh, Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is in the Greek. Uh, it comes across in, in our English as making, uh, as understanding what the will of the Lord is. But in the Greek, in the Greek, it's a command. The, the same as making the most of your time. This is a, com- a command in, in the Greek. How do we know what God expects? Well, the starting point is the Scripture. What does the word of God say? What, what are the principles that, that he gives to us there? Uh, are we mining out of his word the basic principles and applying them to lo- our life? And then we have the promise in James chapter 1. In verse 5, if we lack wisdom, we don't fully understand what his will is, we have the privilege of prayer. We can come and ask in faith, and, and God in his grace will reveal his will to us. The, the, the problem with understanding the will of the Lord is, Uh, Jesus when he taught his disciples to pray he said thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and and then as as he was approaching the cross you remember he knelt in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed not my will but thine be done You, you ever notice when you're praying to God for direction or about a problem in your life do you ever do what I do you figure out how it can be solved and you come and tell God how to do it. Rather than coming and asking, Lord, what do you want to do in this circumstance? How, how do you want to deal with this situation? What, what is your will at this time? Because his will is not always the same as our will. Sometimes his will will lead us through some rough places. Sometimes it'll lead us through some trials and we just as soon say, Lord, take them away, I don't want them. But uh, God said, I have a purpose in them, And my will is for you to walk through them." Are, are we willing to pray, Lord, thy will be done? Are, are we willing to seek his will today? Or do we demand that God bless us in our plans and, and do it our, our way today? Uh, I think of that when I think of that song after 9 one I don't know how many times we heard that song on the radio and TV and so forth. God bless America. Did you ever stop to ask at that point in time, how could God bless America with the corruption and the evil that was there? Maybe God needed to send some judgment on America to bring us back to a place of revival. And, and, and I think of that even today. Uh, uh, the West is burning up. The East is being flooded out. And uh, don't you wish you could share some of that back and forth? <laughs> but but we can't. Uh, I wonder if God is saying something there. Uh, God is saying, hey, you've strayed from my ways you've got to come back to me. Are are, are we praying, Lord, remove the trial or Lord, teach us in the trial, what you have for us. Years ago, uh, when I was still at home, we, we always had, uh, we used scripture press as our Sunday school curriculum in the church in which I grew up. And they, they always had a paper that you took home. And for the adults, it was the power paper. Any of you remember those days? Yeah. A few of you are shaking your head, but, uh, I still remember reading an article in one of the power papers. It was written by Henry Jacobson and he later had it published in Moody Monthly but I got it from the power paper. In it, or the name of the article was Let God Be God. And he was dealing with the question of prayer. And do we approach prayer with the idea that he is God or we are God? For instance, we have a health need in our life. What is the first thing that we pray for? Lord, remove it. I don't want it. Uh, I, I don't want to go through the pain and the heartache and the, and the suffering. But he, he, his contention was: What if God wants to take us through that to touch somebody else's life, to be an example to somebody else, or, or what if there, there's somebody out there that needs to hear the gospel through us? We lose our job. And, What's the first thing we ask? Lord, give me a job. Or do we ask, Lord, give me the right job. Because having a job is more than just earning a living. It's the the place in which God is telling us to invest maybe a third of our life through the week for his glory, for somehow God's placing us on that job so that we can reveal to somebody else the character of Christ. And, And so do we... Come with our list and say, Lord, do it this way, or do we pray, your will be done? What would you have me to do? And do we really seek to understand what is his will for us at this point in our life? Then the third command is that we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It's actually a two-part command. He says, don't be drunk with wine. We understand that. We've all seen that in other people's lives and maybe some of you saw it in your own life before you came to Christ I I, I don't know I I remember during that time when we were had that missionary training one of the missionaries uh, came to me and said you know one one of the Indians had to sell some of his cows and he needed somebody to help take him into Williams Lake which again was a four-hour drive and he said I'm going to take them in but would you like to ride along well, I hadn't been to town for probably two months, so I thought, yeah, that'd be great. And so we loaded the cows in the back of a truck and headed into Williams Lake, uh, sold the cows at about 5 o'clock in the evening, and had some dinner and got ready to come home, knowing that it would be close to midnight by the time we got home, but uh, that, that was okay. When you're young, it doesn't matter. Don't ask me to stay up till midnight now. You better be sure that's the Lord's will, or it's not going to happen. <laughs> But uh, we, we, we crossed the Fraser River, and by that time you're on the gravel road, and we're coming up out of the Fraser River Canyon a long steep hill. And there in the middle of the road is a, a truck loaded with building supplies and, and so forth, irrigation pipes and so forth. And so we, we stop, actually we didn't have any other choice but to stop, it's right in the middle of the road. And, and there's an Indian family standing around it, and, and they're looking in the truck, and the floorboards are smoking. And uh, uh, obviously the fellow was drunk. Uh, he had come up the hill without shifting gears, and it overheated, and it was the floorboards were, were smoking. And, and so the uh, only th- liquid we had happened to be a couple bottles of, of beer that he had in the truck. <laughs> we, we broke them and, and cooled down the uh, the floorboards anyhow. Uh, I thought he was going to come unglued at that point, but... Uh, uh, Another truck came along the other direction. We didn't have any idea who he was or where he was from, but the other truck recognized the the rig. And he he told us where it was from, and he he said, obviously, he's in no condition to drive it home. I'm headed into town. You're headed out that way. Would you mind driving the truck home for him? And and so I said, sure. Sure drive the truck home the only problem was by this time it was smelling pretty bad in, in that cab <laughs> and it was cold out uh, uh, the, we put the family in the other truck and uh, I, I started following him home I, I took the guy that was drunk with me and uh, every once in a while well it was so bad in there I'd open the window and, and it would get cold in there and he'd come to uh, he, he fell asleep right he'd come to and it's cold in here doesn't the heater work and he'd reach over and turn the heater on and and I shut the window quick and let him go back to sleep but then as time progressed we had about two hours driving together Uh, he reached the point where he was going to help me drive and we're coming up a hill and he reaches over and he grabs the emergency brake and yanks it on and after about three times of that and the truck stalling out I said you know you do that one more time you're walking the rest of the way (laughs) (laughs) and he mumbled and complained and went back to sleep and, and that was the end of it but he was doing all kinds of foolish things because he was under the control of alcohol. And um, he's warned us against that here. He says, don't be drunk with wine because of the problems that it brings into our life, but rather it be filled with the spirit. Let the spirit, just as that alcohol took control of that man, he said, let the Holy Spirit have control in your life. Let, let him be the one who directs and guides you. He's teaching here by comparison and by contrast. By comparison, we can understand that how wine or alcohol can control us, and that indicates how the spirit can control us. Uh, we, you drink enough of that alcohol, and, and it takes over, it, it takes control. And uh, the contrast here is, though, that wine is, or alcohol is, is the word that he's using here, is actually a, a depressant. I, I always am amused when you go into a restaurant or so forth and it says happy hour, and usually it's happy three hours or so. You go in there, and you look around, and you wonder, where is the happiness? They're not really happy in that hour, and is it wrong to be happy the rest of the time? I think that's an incorrect term, because alcohol depresses the center of the brain that controls our self-control, that controls our judgment, that, that controls our, our wisdom and even our balance there. So he says that is excess, that's debauchery. Same idea comes out of Proverbs 29 where where he, he raises the question, who has woe? goes on to say, he that looketh long at wine and so forth. And, and he talks about the guy that gets drunk and gets into a fight and gets beat up. And what happens? He wakes up the next morning and says, I'm going to do it all over again. It, it just doesn't make sense there. But the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, stimulates, so that's the contrast there. He brings out not the worst in us, he brings out the best in us. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, and and he he brings that out in our lives. Now, the command here to be filled with the Spirit is, first of all, in the plural tense. So it wasn't just one individual, it's all of us. We, We all have the responsibility to be filled with the Spirit. It, it's also in the in the passive tense here. Uh, that indicates that we do not fill ourselves. He does the filling. He, he, he does the, the work in our hearts. Now, we have to allow him to do that, but we don't manufacture the spirit. The spirit comes on his own initiative there. Same idea it comes out of Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing, and so forth, Uh, singing with spiritual songs there. We we, we allow the word of God to have its effect in in our lives. It's also in the present continuous tense here, which means it's not a once for all experience. It's a continual experience. We need to be continually seeking to be filled with the spirit of God, continually surrendering control of different areas of our life to to the spirit's control. And when we do that, four things happen in, in us. Uh, The first is unity in verse 19. Speaking to one another. There's that sense of uh, not speaking to yourselves here. He's using the plural reflexive here. We speak to one another with psalms and hymns, uh, uh, the idea of public worship there, uh, with the idea that we are to edify, to build up one another. The, The question that we should ask is not what's in it for me, but what's in it for the body? How can I best meet the needs of of those around about me? That brings the spirit of unity into our life. The second aspect of being filled with the spirit is worship here. He said singing, making melody in your heart. Aren't you glad he says that, making melody in your heart? Uh, uh, Some of you have observed that when my mic is on, I just mouth the words. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm singing in my heart, but you're not going to hear me singing out loud because the melody just escapes me there. But in the heart, are we worshiping him? John 4 says that we should worship him in spirit and in truth. When we are worshiping him as we should, one of the byproducts of that, I believe, is joy. And he he makes mention of that here, making melody in your heart to the Lord. It carries the whole idea of of joy there. Someone has said joy is the quiet confidence that God is in control of my life. I I, I like that. Uh, It doesn't mean that all the circumstances are are great or that we, we, we don't necessarily say thank the Lord that that like one of my friends did, he, used, he hit his thumb with a hammer and he'd say, praise the Lord, I hit my thumb again. I, I don't think that's the idea that he has in mind here. I, I, I know he was trying to fulfill the scripture to give thanks and everything. But it, behind it is the idea that if we are walking in the spirit and we know that the spirit of God is in control, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We have a reason to be- believe that God knows what he's doing. And that brings joy to our hearts. We can rejoice in, in the Lord. The, the third area that, that he presents to us is, is thanksgiving. Verse 20, always giving thanks for all things. Again, if the spirit is in control of our heart, we'll have a thankful heart. And so a, a good measure, perhaps, of whether we are being filled with the spirit or not is uh, did you do some grumbling and complaining this week? In that moment, you weren't being filled with the Spirit. You weren't allowing the Spirit to, to take control of your life. I, I thought maybe I had a, a good reason this week to do some complaining, but uh, didn't really, because God was at work. God was there, and, and uh, in First Thessalonians 5.18, it speaks of the fact that in everything, not for everything, but in everything, Give thanks. There, there, if God allows a, a trial in our lives, there's a reason for it. He doesn't do it unless He has a purpose in mind for us. And so we go back to Philippians chapter 2. I think I jumped ahead of you there. Uh, verse 14 says, Do all things with just a little bit of murmuring and complaining? No, not quite. He said, Without murmuring or complaining. And, and the reason for that, if you go down to verse 16 of that passage, is the reason he said, do it without murmuring and complaining, is so that our light may shine in a sin darkened world. As we learn to give thanks, even in the hard times of life, like the Apostle Paul did in prison. Remember? He was in um, Philippi, thrown into prison. He had been beaten. He was in stocks. And what did those two crazy men, Paul and Silas, do at midnight? They were singing. And preaching and and presenting Christ to the other prisoners there. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'd find that hard to do. And and yet they did. And as they gave thanks, they realized, yes, it was meant for evil, but God used it for good. Uh, Later, Paul, writing back to the Philippian church, said, uh, the things that happened to me happened, why? For the furtherance of the gospel. God had a purpose in it. And God used it to, to build his church in that part of the world. So how thankful were you this week? And how much complaining did you do? And, and maybe you need to talk to the Lord about that and, and, and confess that today. The third, fourth area, if we're filled with the Spirit, is we will, be, we will have submission. Verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, I know some translations like to put this with verse 22. Uh, that way they can put the burden on the wives. To, to be submissive. The, the, the Greek uh, structure here, the grammar structure, d- does not allow for that translation. Yeah. Verse 22 illustrates what he's saying here, but I think the basic command is to all of us, to be submissive to one another. We're going to flesh that out in the next three weeks. We're going to look at the husband-wife relationship, and I'm going to submit to you that we both, husband and wife, has to have to submit to what God has for us. What is the role that God has for us in, in that relationship? And then we'll look at our parent-child relationship and, and we like to think, well, the children have to submit to mom and dad. But mom and dad also have a role to play in that, in submitting to the kids and we'll, we'll examine that. And then we'll look at the work world, the employer, the employee. How is it possible that, that we can submit knowing we have different roles? Well, God has called each of us to serve in the way that his spirit leads us we if we're spirit filled the fruit of the spirit is love and we will exercise love in all of those relationships there and so uh, i'm going to leave it at that for this morning with just a question how are you showing your love life to one another are are they seeing the love of christ being worked out in your life Are, are you seeking to follow his will Are you seeking to allow him to be glorified in in your life today? Is he filling you? Are you under his control today? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us your spirit to help us to walk through this life. There are so many landmines out there, Father, that, that we really need to understand what your will is. We, we really need to, to use those opportunities to the glory of Jesus Christ. We really need to walk in the power of your spirit. And we thank you that you've not left us helpless in those areas, but you've willingly sent your spirit to direct and guide us. Give us the courage, Father, to live out in such a way that others would get a glimpse of Jesus Christ through us. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.